By the way, I know you guys got to record it. You can edit this or whatever, but I'll say, I mean, I'll answer anything. I really don't give a shit, as you can tell by my Twitter and the way I handle myself. So I don't really care. Sweet. <laughs> we'll, we'll keep this in. <laughs> whatever, man. Hey, now, welcome to the City Off Campus podcast with your two favorite hosts, Sammy Sommerfeld and Jack McFarland. Today, we got our Iowa beat reporter, um, David Eichholt. How's everything with you? Things are good, man. So uh, I miss Florida a lot. I was there for about 10 days and I had to come back to uh, to this. But I mean, hey, you know what? It's almost darty weather at this point. So it, it's yeah. not all too bad. Yeah, I actually am from Naples, Florida, and I just flew back to Iowa on Saturday. And the first day walking in the Iowa City wind, <laughs> I just was questioning that decision big time. <laughs> It, it was bad though, because like I was there for a while, like it was partly cloudy when I was in Florida, like mid high sixties. I know everybody's rolling their eyes in the back of their head right now, but like, right when I left, it was like mid seventies and it was sunny the rest of the week. And I'm just like, dude, I hate this. Why am I leaving? Like I, I literally could have stayed too, but had to get back to it. You know, it's, it's, I mean, to be fair, like this is the definition of first world problems, though, right? Oh, like, I'm not complaining about being in freaking Florida for 10 days. Right. You know, it Florida, is what it is, you? man. So we were off. Uh, I was in St. Pete Beach for a week. And then I went to uh, North Rankton Beach for another another four days or so. Okay. My family flew down there. So had a week with a couple of my buddies down there and then met up with my parents. So good good time good time for sure but uh you know it's it's good to be back and you know actually some sports are going back on this week finally so with the, way the basketball schedule worked and everything like that it was it was perfect timing yeah and perfect timing i mean iowa just played two of their biggest games of the year ohio state and michigan and we had just talked to patrick and joe and they come on and it was after the we, we wanted to talk to them specifically about after the michigan game how after jack nunji got hurt there was a, a, a question that was growing just amongst a lot of people of how are the Hawkeyes going to respond defensively? Because one of the things that people really harped on was if this team wants to be a contender, they have to defend against Ohio State. They hold them to under 60. Absolutely phenomenal defensive performance all around. What, what have you seen um, from this Hawkeye team from the beginning of the season where they play North Carolina, Gonzaga to now? Where have you seen that growth defensively? You know, and I'll say this about the Michigan game. I know this might sound like a cop-out answer, but I really do think it's legit. Once Jack Nunji went down, I felt like the entire energy just sucked out of Iowa because of all the adversity Jack Nunji's gone through the, over the last three years. Like, that's the last guy in the world. They, they never want to see anybody hurt, but, like, that's literally the last guy in the, in the world that they wanted to see go down. They wanted to see him have a good year. So going into that Ohio State game from a defensive standpoint, I was curious because – I honestly thought Iowa was going to run more zone because, you know, without really a true backup big now, they have to do as much as they can to protect Luca. So I was surprised they play as much man as they did. But I think you need to give a couple uh, credit to a couple of guys. I think you got to give credit to Joe T, number one. I think Joe Toussaint, with, it would have been very easy for him just to completely hang his head over, you know, with his playing time over the last month. But he stepped up and I thought he played one of his best games of his career, not just of the season, of his career in that game because. He was so cocky almost on defense. Like, you know, C.J. Walker and Dwayne Washington, they're good players. They're quick guys. Joe was basically baiting them to drive in on him, but he knew where they were going to go. He beat them to the spot. He forced two shot clock violations himself. And I think the other thing is you need to give a lot of credit to Keegan Murray because Keegan switched on to E.J. Liddell in that second half. Liddell had 13 first-half points, held two points in that second half and 
15 minutes, only took one shot, had a pair of turnovers, only had one rebound. It was no fluke. I mean, Murray, I thought, really did a great job stepping in that role. Granted, EJ is an undersized four or five, but I still think he's a legitimate all-Big Ten caliber guy with he's, the way he's played this year. Um, and, and I think C.J. Frederick getting back in the mix, too. I mean, it, I, if anybody is questioning, I don't think anybody really ever questioned how important C.J. Frederick is. But that defense and the way the offense has just looked with him back, I'm not going to say 100%, but he's playing starter quality minutes again. I mean, they're just a different team with him on the floor. Like, he doesn't even have to score. He could go scoreless and dish out four assists like we saw in his, I think, first real returning game when he was trying – I think against uh, Wisconsin. I don't think he scored in that game. Uh, But you you just saw the importance that he brings to the table and the way he can just space the floor. So I I think that right now, I know for all the talk about the Fran February fades or whatever else, and I get it in past years, I think it's – you can't say that this season. They were six and three. They – the only real game they were blown out in was Michigan. The Ohio State game, the Indiana game, came down to the last possession or the last minute or two. And you're not going to convince me that if C.J. Frederick's healthy and is playing in those, they don't at least split that. So Iowa could have went seven and two with a fully healthy squad. And I just think they're playing the most. They, they play the most complete performance of the year, heading into the most crucial time of the year. And you know, my thing is they lose four or five in late January, early February, but you don't want to peak then we've seen what happens mm-hmm. when Iowa teams have peaked there. They aren't peaking there. They're peaking right now again. So I'm again, I mean, I'm still curious how they come out tomorrow against Nebraska, but I think the best thing that happened to Iowa is Nebraska absolutely curb stomping Rutgers and going up by 30 at one point, because if the, and if I wouldn't take them seriously, they're, they're definitely going to take it more seriously now after what they did. And you just touched on Keegan Murray, and I think every game that Keegan Murray plays, he does something that we've never seen him do before, whether it's leading the stats and stats that aren't recorded or, like you said, filling in for that Jack Nungy roll down low, taking EJ Lindell. I really don't even know if anybody is truly aware of what Keegan Murray's ceiling is because he is getting better every single game, and nobody really knows who he I, – I really don't know who he is as a player because he just kind of does everything well. Yeah, you know, I think he's a basketball player, and I yeah. think that's the highest praise you can give him because he's a two-way guy. It was funny. I was listening to Fred Hoiberg talk about Keegan today, and he said, yeah, he's already better than his dad ever was. You remember Fred oh. and Kenyon played played against one another, so that was kind of one of some of uh, Fred's dry humor. But I've said this before, and people have kind of risen their eyebrows at me, but I'll say it again. I think Keegan Murray's the best NBA prospect on the team. I really do. I think that Luca has a place in the league. I think Joe Wieskamp will have a place in the league. But if you're talking about – highest ceiling for a potential late first round pick. I mean, what, what, what Keegan's doing right now, he's athletic enough. You remember on that fast break layup last game, he, he went three quarters of the court in nine steps. He, he could have slammed it. He didn't slam it. I don't know why he didn't slam it. He could have, but maybe he just wanted because to, there uh, are a bunch of parents watching their sons play basketball. You yeah. you'd show him a little mercy. Well, I mean, I guess that's the opposite of Patrick because Patrick tries to kill a guy about every single game. <laughs> I mean, it, uh, and he's killed a few people on the floor already. I think we've seen this year a couple of posters. But uh, I think it was in that first Ohio State matchup, actually, that that happened, if I remember yeah. right. right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. It was right after so, Patrick had come on the first time, and it was just one of those <laughs> the city bump where – Pat got yeah. that confidence to yam it on someone after we talked to him about it. That's it. I mean, I'm expecting my page view bump after this podcast now <laughs> to try to keep that city bump alive. But uh, no, that, I mean, that's the thing. Like Keegan can shoot threes very well. He can rebound the crap out of the ball, which is, I mean, I've been the, his, I think his wingspan surprises you when you watch him. Like he looks like a pretty lengthy player, 
but then you really see him and someone that rebounds he he's grabbing and where he grabbed them at I mean it's pretty ridiculous I I knew he was an athlete I didn't think he was as good of an athlete as he has he has shown this year I think that prep year at uh, DME Academy when he went down to Florida certainly helped him but I mean I, I I'm looking next year I I don't know what Joe's gonna do Wees Camp's gonna do next year I think he's gonna go to the NBA because I just don't know how much better is you know a draft stock can get after the season he's had I mean the guy's shooting nearly 60 percent from three and in, in, in the last 10 games I mean you aren't really gonna beat that so I, I think next year's Iowa team it's looking like Keegan Murray and it's looking like CJ Frederick and I'll tell you what I mean, I think CJ is going to surprise a lot of people that aren't Iowa fans because I think that kid's capable of getting 18 a night. I think he's he's going to be that good once you start putting him in more sets. I mean, the guy shoots yeah. 52% from three. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. He's, he's, he's a 50% three-point shooter, and, you know, and that comes into with Big Ten play and all of that. But one question I have for you is with this Iowa team going into Big Ten play and going into March Madness – what are your questions about this team still? Like, what are your concerns? What are your hesitations for them to reach the Elite Eights, the Sweet Sixteens, the Final Fours? What do you want to see out of this team? Yeah, first of all, I think some of the questions got answered when, uh, I mean, against Ohio State, at least to me. But I need to see, can Iowa continue to compete with the best of the best? Uh, and I think, I've, I've said this all year, defensive rebounding. I mean, Iowa, they, they, they only give up two offensive rebounds against Ohio State. Ohio State's a little bit undersized, but after losing Jack Nungeen to give up only two offensive boards, zero of which came in that second half, by the way, that's a good sign for me. I think Iowa's man-to-man defense has been so much better. And if they continue to keep playing that over zone, I think they'll be in good shape. I'm still very curious about – can they get consistency off the bench? I think we've seen this sometimes this year where the bench has given them such a huge spark. I think the bench has won them a couple of games this year. But then we've also seen times where they go in and, I mean, it, they just they just look lost. I mean, especially, I think, in the zone defense. But, I mean, Iowa's zone, I mean, look, just to be blunt, I mean, you guys know it as well as I do. Iowa's zone defense is just not good. That's to protect Luka and to try to keep him on the floor. And, again, I don't blame Fran for them for trying to do that. And I, I also think – you know, I think free throws, as crazy as it sounds, I don't think I, I think Iowa's free throw shooting has been incredibly underwhelming this season based on some of the guys that they've had. Joe Wieskamp's struggle. I think Luca's up to, I don't know, I have the stats right in front of me. I think Luca's gotten better from what he was last year. I mean, Luca probably could have scored 800 points last year if he shot the way he did his sophomore and, and freshman season. So free throws, defensive rebounding, and can Iowa compete against athletic guards? I mean, I think that's kind of, been the mantra for this team. I mean, I, I think you have to love Jordan Bohan and what he brings to the table. I know some people are kind of – I think people are going to appreciate J-Bo more when he's gone at gone, this point yeah, than, than when he's here. And I think that – and this is not an indictment on J-Bo or Joe Toussaint. Once people saw the athleticism and dribble drive, you know, potential that Joe Toussaint had, I think it just sort of turned them off J-Bo's game. But I've always said this to people who try to – you know, they get mad at Fran for not playing Joe Toussaint more – there's two things I think you need to look at. I know I'm going off on complete tangent here, but I think this is really important. Iowa's upside, Iowa's offensive upside with j on the floor is better than Joe Toussaint's defensive upside if you're trying to pick one or the other. You're going to take j offense over Joe Toussaint's defense because the way Iowa's offense works, and Iowa's defense is not good enough to where they're going to hold teams under 60, 65 points. They need that offensive output. So they're going to put all their, you know, all their chips in the basket saying, hey, 
We're going to average over 1.1 points per possession. We're going to be able to be the second most efficient offense. You throw in Joe Toussaint, I mean, how much offense are you really giving up for how much better defense? And if you throw in Toussaint, you can't play Toussaint and Connor McCaffrey together unless Connor McCaffrey goes four or six from three-point range like he did against Michigan State. Like, it, it's, it's just not feasible, at least to me. But again, I think that Joe Toussaint showed what type of role he can have for this team. And I think he can win games for Iowa in the Big Ten tournament and in March if he can come out and, and do what he did uh, against Ohio State. So uh, basically the same questions as, as I've had all year. And it's can Iowa rise to the moment? I think winning a primetime game against top competition was a step in the right direction. And I'll even say this. I know more people took away negatives and positives when they played against Gonzaga. I, ne- I didn't necessarily – they scored 88. The worst matchup mm-hmm. in the country for Gonzaga is Iowa. I've said that all year. I'll continue to say it. Iowa's offense can compete with them. Jalen Suggs is not going to go seven to 10 from three, and he's a top five pick. Like, it's nothing against him, but he's statistically, he's just not going to do that again. And Iowa's not going to go four 22 from three. They scored 88 points, went four 22 from three, and most of those shots were open looks. So I, I think Iowa can compete with the best of the best, but could I also see them losing to a really good 14 seed? If, if Iowa overlooks them, yeah, I, I, I really do. To put no, to put numbers to your thoughts, I looked up Iowa's free throw percentage compared to the whole nation, and they're tied 162 with 71%. Yeah. And that's not that's not killer. Like, that's okay, but that's not something you'd really want going down the stretch and say, okay, if we're top 40, that's definitely a lot better than being top 160. You're just middle of the pack. And that's not, like you just said, that is a concern because you've seen – even when they keep guys in like Luca or Joe and they have to keep them in for 35 minutes in a whole game, fatigue is a huge factor in a free throw and it, it will weigh down. And you've seen Luca in history miss some free throws because of just fatigue. So I think that is definitely something to think about, Sam. I didn't mean to cut you off, but I looked it up and I said, damn, that is actually something to think about. Cause I haven't even looked up their team ranking and to be middle of the pack for a team that scores this much. That is something that could for definitely bite shooters. them in the butt. Yeah. That could bite That's them in the, the butt. Definitely. Right. Well, and that's what I was actually going to go off of, too, is it seems like, you know, in these losses that happen, especially in close games, um, you know, I look at the Minnesota game on Christmas where it was just offense for offense, and there was just not enough defensive presence right there for Iowa. But when the offense is cold, we lose bad. Like, that's just kind of been what's happened at times. So do you think there's a high pressure for this team to perform on the offensive side of the ball where it's just kind of like, okay, we know we're going to give up a certain amount of points on defense where it's just like offense or bust type of thing heading into these tournament plays. You know, that that's an interesting question. I think that part of the shift for Iowa in terms of the last, I don't know if you, I don't know if you guys saw a stat I, I tweeted out, I think it was from Bart Torvik uh, analytics, but since Iowa's February 4th loss to Ohio state, Iowa's 10th in offensive efficiency and 10th, and 10th and in defensive efficiency. I think Iowa, for the first several weeks of this season, had that mindset of, we're going to give up this many points, so we need a score. So they put all the attention on offense, despite talking about what they knew they needed defensively. I think ever since that Ohio State game, they've just said, you know what? We can't go in with that mindset because that's not going to win us games in March. And I, I, I think... I think it's just Iowa taking on the challenge more than anything else. I think you've seen their offense step back a little bit, but that defense is so much better than what it was. I mean, they went from 128th in Ken Palm. They're up to 58th now in a span of seven games. 
that's an unheard of rise. I mean, that is, that, that's pretty difficult to do, especially this late in the season. So I think that that that's been a big thing. And I'll tell you what, I know Jordan Bohannon gets a lot of flack for his defense. Look, that kid's trying like he, there's so much more effort I've seen from Jordan Bohan on the defense bend this season than I've ever seen him before. Granted he's healthy. Like, I mean, you know, with, with plantar fasciitis, a sophomore year and two hip surgeries. I mean, the, the dude's going to be limited, but the efforts there, I think Tony Perkins also can have a role at times. I think Tony Perkins upsides the defender is all big 10 level. I think that kid could be really, really, really good. I think the jump shot still work in progress, but I, I think you have to like what he brings table. I think Luca Garza, in terms of on the block defense, has been a lot better this season than in years past. He's not fouling. Might give up a bucket here and there. Uh, but if you look at the way Iowa gets beat, it's they get beat on the pick and roll. I mean, that's what it is. And, you know, Luca is great in so many areas. Luca is just not quick enough to defend the pick and roll, and Iowa doesn't have the quick enough – doesn't have enough quick guards to be able to overcome the big man uh, not being that quick. But – you exchange that when you have Luca Garza and you're as your center. I mean, there's nobody, I think in the nation, you take over him, obviously um, he'd have my vote for national player of the year. I think he was absolutely robbed last year. I still think it's a joke. Obi Toppin won it. If your first argument for Obi Toppin is he had 109 dunks in the regular season, then you don't know basketball and you should stop uh-huh. watching and go back to playing 2k. Cause that's absolute crap. Anyway, to go back to the question. Uh, no, man, like it, I, I'm much more confident about Iowa's defense than I have been, but I also have said this. There's two things you need to keep in mind. Iowa is more built for the end still by turn than a big 10 title that that's I've said that all year. I thought they could have won the big 10, but their most upside was as the NCAA tournament. You think anybody in the country wants to go on against Iowa on a short scout with, with, with one of the best three point shooters in history in Jordan Mohan one of the more underrated players in the country in CJ Frederick. And then Joe Wieskamp, who's literally shooting 58% from three. And then, oh, you have a national player of the year candidate who strokes home 45% of his threes while, you know, getting 25 and 10 a night. I mean, look, Iowa still has to guard. And that's the yeah. big thing in March. I mean, Iowa still has to scout someone else. But I think, I mean, even when Iowa was going through their rough stretch, why do you think Iowa is still third or fourth most title odds? because those teams have to go on a short scout and these coaches and these players that I was gone against the big 10, they've known him for three or four years. Like it doesn't make it any easier, but they know familiarities. They know how the end of game flows go. They know their tendencies a lot better difference between playing against those tendencies and watching on film. So, you know, not, not to get right. Like people like too hyped up with unrealistic expectations, but I still think everything's on the table for this Iowa team, but I also need to see them finish the season strong. I think you need to see them win the last two games. They need to win their quarterfinal. And I think they need to beat Illinois in the semifinals. If Iowa beat, I don't, you know, if Iowa loses in the finals, you know, that they had a shot at whatever, I think they, and I'll tell you what, Iowa wants Illinois. And like, I'm not from anything I've heard. But I think you can tell by the energy that they play against one another. Like, they, they won Illinois, and I think Iowa wants Michigan again, too. You know who wants Michigan? Luca Garza wants Michigan again. I mean, you know how big of a competitor that guy is. So, if Iowa beats Illinois in the semis, assuming everything works out, I'm picking Iowa to go to the Final Four. I don't care who their bracket is because I, I still think if you look at the upside of this team, I still think they're a top-five team in the country, and that's why they've stayed in the top ten for every week except two this season despite losing a four or five in one stretch. Who do you think is going to be the most surprising X factor for Iowa where, you know, obviously there's Joe Tucson guys off the bench. People talk about Keegan Murray, but are there any role player guys who haven't seen a lot of minutes where with Jack Nunji now um, not being 
in um, not being in the rotation, you know, there might be another guy that steps up. You know, I don't want to put the label X factor on this, but there's also another Murray brother. I wanted to ask about him. Like what people were so curious of what Chris can do. And seriously, I don't, I have no idea. So here's what I'll say from who I've talked to. And and I've talked to Kenny in a little bit. I've talked to his, you know, his DME coach. I mean, Chris is very good. You got to realize like Chris could be playing right now, but there was depth in front of him and and Fran's not going to fall in the trap. You want Fran to fall in the trap of playing nine to 11 people again, like he has in the last couple of years where everybody freaks out and for playing nine to 11 people, he finally cut the rotation down. And that's the thing. So Chris is good enough to see minutes. I think he'll have to see minutes because there's going to be a game where Luca or someone gets in foul trouble. The best thing for Iowa is to blow out Nebraska tomorrow and then get Chris an extended run, give him at least 10 to 12 minutes so he can actually get in the flow of a game. But I've heard he's performed well in practice. He can guard through four. I think he's more suited for to guard two to four. Keegan's a little bit, a little bit better built so he can guard like the EJ Liddell's in the post, but Chris is a good defender. Uh, I've heard Chris's jump shot has improved dramatically over the past year. I think, you know, I've heard, I've seen some practice highlights that, you know, Iowa hoops has tweeted out. I mean, he's hitting step back threes and, you know, he's an athletic guy. He's very similar to Keegan, but they can do different things. I mean, Chris is going to be a very legitimate player for this Iowa team for the, over the next couple of years. Like it's not one of those situations where one brother's better than the other, like, One's great, but they offered both just to get the one better brother. Like they can both hoop. And I, I think the, again, similar size, similar skill sets. Interestingly enough, Chris is left-handed too. And Keegan's right. I mean, I, wait, really? I, I don't know, man. I, uh, I didn't even know that was a thing for real. Yeah. Now people are yeah. going to be able to tell them apart easily. That's well, as, yeah. That's the only way that wow. Fran and all of them can tell them apart. I think they usually, gosh, I can't, God, I can't remember the nickname. Somebody told me that they made up for him in practice. Like they don't just say Murray. They like combine Chris and Keegan's name. I think it's like Cregan or something like that. So <laughs> make them both look. Don't quote me on that. I think it's like, Cregan. No, it's you talk to Patrick, you talk to Patrick and Joe, maybe they can clarify that for me, but uh, it, it was something like that. So like when they're yelling them in practice or they're doing sprints or something like that, they'll say Cregan and they both just look. And it's like, no, that one. Oh, okay, sweet. But uh, yeah, so no, I think Chris can hoop. I think he's a good player. But as far as an X factor for the NCAA tournament, I mean, it's a cop-out answer. I think CJ Frederick. I think there's two things. CJ Frederick, because I, I think CJ can get you 15 points tonight now if he gets the shots. And if Iowa can space the four, he'll knock down threes. I think CJ, in terms of the driver's gotten a lot better. Because uh, he really didn't drive at all last year. But, you know, we've seen glimpses of him this year taking the floaters in the lane. Uh, he hasn't turned the ball over, by the way, since December 19th, which is on. I mean, that's absolutely ridiculous to me. I mean, that's crazy. That's over 300 minutes of playing time. He hasn't turned the ball over once. And I will say this too. It was my, it was my, my X factor at the beginning of the year. It's Joe Wieskamp's alpha mentality. Joe Wieskamp's not playing like a Robin anymore. That dude wants it. He's playing like the leader of this team. He's pulling up from three with a hand in his face fearlessly. He's rebounding the ball at a high level. He's defending better and he's showing emotion. I know he's, you know, for his first couple of years, he really didn't. And I've always been a believer that, you know, you can be that stone faced guy doesn't show a lot of emotion or whatever, but I truly believe that if you show more emotion that it's going to make you a better player, but you have to be able to manage that emotion. I think Joe's done a good job of that this year. And, if, I mean, if, if Joe and Luke could go for 43 a night, like they did against Ohio State, I mean, I, you know, that's going to be really tough, I think, for teams to overcome. So CJ Frederick and, and Joe Wieskamp acting like the alpha. It's not Batman or Robin, it's Superman and Batman with, with Luca and 
and uh, Joe. And if that happens, I think Iowa's going to be a much better team and much more deadly team going into March. And, you know, they can get to where they want to get to. Yeah. One thing I want to talk about, because you cover Iowa recruiting with football and basketball and stuff. Mm -hmm. um, what around recruiting circles, what is Fran's reputation from parents who've talked to players, things like that. And what have you thought about his ability to develop guys, whether it's been the last couple of years or, you know, other guys in the past, the Aaron Whites, whoever, but with this team and so much development being displayed on the court, how do you think this is going to impact Iowa basketball in the future in the next couple of recruiting cycles? Yeah. And I'll say this too. First of all, I think Fran gets a better rep. I really do. I know he's short with the media at times. Like that's, you know, it's, is what it is. I mean, I I've complained about on occasion, but, but I, I have not heard, I've had interactions with Fran off the record. I mean, I covered Patrick McCaffrey signing. I was like one of two media members that went, which I thought was absurd, by the way, he's the top hundred kid. I don't care if he's uh, a coach's yeah. kid. Anyway, enough about that. I, I have not heard from at least who I have talked to. I'm not going to sit here and go, you know, on, out on a limb, but who I've talked to, I've not heard any former player, parent or recruit say one bad thing about Fran McCaffrey. Fran's a funny guy. He's nice. And he, you know, in a, in a very dirty game, you know, so in a very dirty game, which is college basketball recruiting, I know shocker, it's not all hundred percent clean. Fran McCaffrey does it by the books and mm -hmm. he, he's as clean as they come in that. And I think Iowa fans should appreciate that. I will say this though. I think that this season could serve as a turning point for Iowa to not be that elite big 10 program, but go from that middle of the pack, at least to the upper middle of the pack. Because if Iowa gets to an elite eight and you have the national player of the year, should be two-time national player of the year, and Luca Garza is a big man, there really isn't an excuse to not land an elite big man. Like, I think there's a lot of pressure on Fran McCaffrey to land a really good 2022 class. I know he's developed guys. I mean, look at Aaron. I can't remember who tweeted it out. I think it was Hawkeyes, IZE. And it was a photo Aaron of Luca White. and yeah. a photo of Aaron oh, White. Oh, yeah. I mean, Aaron White God's looks sake. like Jokic. Yeah. For God's sake, oh, I don't even know about that, man. Like, he looks as skinny as I did with, a, like, one of those bull, like, a Ned's declassified school survival guy haircut. I mean, I, I'm not going to roast the guy. He has 2,000 more points than me in, in a college career. So, I mean, the guy was a hooper. But he turned Aaron White into the third leading scorer in Iowa history. And, granted, like, I, I think that you – know, with Luca though, too, I think you have to get a lot of credit to Frank. Oh yeah. I mean, that, that's just a unique family in, mm -hmm. in general. I mean that in the most, you know, endearing of, of ways, but I, I think Fran, what he's done, I mean, look at, you guys remember, you guys remember Gable O'Shaney? Mm -hmm. That's the first project I remember because I thought his freshman year, he was one of the worst big 10 basketball players I've ever seen. And, you know, at that time I'm like, I don't know what Fran's doing, man. O'Shaney became a monster in that post, man. Six man of the year as a rim protector and everything. I think Fran does a nice job developing guys. And I think that, again, I know people don't want to go that far back, but if you had to take over a Todd Licklider program, mm -hmm. you know, God have mercy on your soul. I mean, like, that's like, that's like, that's like, I don't want to get like biblical here, but you remember when they were like doing all the plagues on Egypt, like Todd Licklider literally plagued Iowa basketball with what he did. I, I He's a nice guy, but man, I mean, you're scoring, you're winning games 43 to 38. I mean, that's like a Virginia's Virginia, except you didn't exactly <laughs> defend well. It was just a bad game. But anyway, I know I keep going off on these tangents, but again, I'll say this. I think that Fran gets a bad rep from the public in a lot of ways. I know 
everything basketball is 100% serious. It's his livelihood. It's all he's ever known. And that, that, I mean, that family is just full of athletes though, too. I mean, that people need to realize this though, too. And I think the common person doesn't realize it. It takes a certain mental edge to be a D1 athlete or coach. Like they are not wired like normal people. So what you see is just it wrong or whatever. That's just co- competition. Like that's how these guys get to where they are. You think CJ Frederick is, I mean, that's what I'm saying. Like, you think a guy like CJ Frederick and his journey, do you think he's a big time basketball player without having that mental edge? No, he's not. Like, he could shoot. He's not the best athlete in the world. I think he'd be an NBA player, too. I mean, quite honestly, you shoot the ball 60% from three. But I think there's a big misconception between a normal person and the mentality it takes to be an athlete, especially a high level athlete. Because when you talk about like the highest, you know, performing athletes in the world, what stands out to you about any, about, almost above anything? It's the, it's the mental edge they have. It's the drive. It's they're just different beings. So, you know, I I think Fran's done a good job with this program, but I also think there's a lot of pressure on him in 2022 to land a couple of big fish. And I know that they're in on a couple of really, really solid prospects. Uh, But again, I mean, they're going up against teams like Michigan, Miami of Florida is always an attractive place because, Oh, I don't know. It's in Miami, Florida. I mean, the location plays a factor too, but I also think that this is the year where Iowa has to utilize it. And if, I, I think this is a big moment for Fran, not just to have his best team ever this year, but to be able just to up that expectation level consistently and to develop more high-end talent. I mean, I think Iowa put so much time in developing guys. You still will, but there's at least a better base yeah. while you're starting to develop guys. And with that, I want to ask you, so you talked about like upper tier Big Ten. So the team that came to mind for me, was like a Matt Painter at Purdue, just with some of the guys. He is that kind of what you were thinking, like a Purdue type of thing. Or what are some of the other Big Ten teams that you kind of would comp to where you think Fran could go if he's able to get a good recruiting class? I think Wisconsin. Um, I I think you got to look at Wisconsin. Like I'm not talking about in style of play because God have mercy if I have to cover a team that shoots the ball once every 45 seconds. <laughs> uh, but I, you know, I think Wisconsin though, I mean, outside of this season, it looks like they can't, but I mean, they've landed top four most seasons under Greg guard. I think Iowa can consistently be a top four, top five team with the occasional down year, uh, because it, it just happens. I mean, look at Michigan state, you know, why Michigan state's going to get in the NCAA tournament. Oh, I don't know. They're Michigan state. Like they, they've won some games, but they're going to get in because they're Michigan state. Uh, but I mean, to be fair, you could also make the argument that Iowa, Iowa spanking, spanking them. Uh, by 30 woke them up. And I think that did play a factor as well. So I think the Purdue is a good comp because that's more of a developmental program. Uh, Wisconsin is too. Wisconsin is such a unique talent and system and the way they kind of, I mean, the same thing under Bo Ryan though, right? I mean, it's a very similar style of ball, but I think the Matt Painter thing is a good argument. Uh, But it'll be very interesting to me though next year to see how Iowa fans react to the team because I I hope people realize like how historically great this offense is. I mean, it's, I think Fran deserves a lot of credit for the team he's pieced together around Luca. I don't think he's gotten any, I think he does. I don't think, I don't think Iowa fans appreciate Fran at all. And like, I've talked to quite a few Iowa fans and they think Fran should be fired. Like when we have some of these close losses and things like that. And I'm like, look at what he's doing with the guys he had, the guys that came in, some of these, like the Keegan Murray's where literally basically nobody recruited him. And here he is now playing starter minutes, you know, for Iowa basketball and being a key piece. Remember, I mean, it, it, it screams Dr. Tom Davis to me. 
And Tom Davis had more success at the time, granted. But remember, everybody said Tom Davis isn't good enough anymore, and they fired him. What happened after yep. that? What happened? I mean, I, I, I think that – I also think that plays a factor in why Kirk continues to get – got extended in 20 – I think 2014 before he went 12-0 and and they went 4-8 and that year. Why do you think Lisa Bluter is stuck around? Why do you think the frame of Capri extensions have come so early? I mean, not saying that they, those people deserved it, in my opinion. But the reason why Iowa always goes for that, they go for that security blanket because they don't want to repeat. Even I think I think there's some you know PTSD from the fallout of the Tom Davis. Yeah, uh, how that kind of whole thing came about. So, you know, I, I think it's I think you know I, I get it at times with Fran. Like Fran can be frustrating to watch. I'm sure I know his rotations. I've questioned, but I always know. I'm like, hey, you know what? I write about it. I ask questions. I'm not going to sit there and be like, why'd you run that play? Why didn't you get to this player? I think that's completely unfair to the coach. I think it's unfair to the players. I'll ask why didn't someone do it or what was the thinking behind the play? But I think that's how I think sports writers at times cross that line versus trying to be a coach versus Mm -hmm. trying to understand their thinking, portraying that. And then also if you're a columnist kind of putting in your own opinion about that, I think we've sort of, clashed worlds too much to where sports writers can have opinions but it's about how do you go about utilizing those opinions do you use it to boost your own case or do you try to get their perspective and then write an informative piece about it for the public and i think we're at that juncture where it's colliding so much i think right now it's trending in the wrong direction at almost every level of athletics one thing i wanted to kind of go back to was you touched on how sometimes it feels like the media and sometimes Hawkeye fans as a whole get frustrated with Fran. And more specifically, when I say this, like Fran, after a loss at a press conference, he might seem short or he might, I wouldn't say lash out, but he is just kind of abrasive. Direct. Yeah. Nope. That's a good, that's a good word. Right. And I, and and I feel like that has something to do with Fran trying to take the focus off the players and trying to just put it on himself because it is, like the players team, but Fran is the leader of this team. And at the end of the day, if people have something to say, say it to him, say it when you have him in that media availability and he'll throw it right Mm -hmm. back in your face. And he's completely fine with that because Fran knows what he is. He knows what this team is. And I really feel like, like kind of like Roy Williams or Williams did the other day, he gets frustrated when people have these very irrational thoughts and they just have these knee-jerk reactions like, oh, fuck, we shouldn't have fucking lost. Like, what are we doing? And it's like, yeah. chill out. Like, I subbed him out because we had foul trouble. You tell me to sub him out and then I do, and then you tell me not to. And it's like, what what am I supposed to do? These these are these are Division One college, like, young men, okay? Sure. And there's people get harping on them like they're professional athletes. And at the end of the day, it should be Fran who steps in front and takes that blow, and he does. But unlike a lot of coaches, Fran will kind of give it back. And do Hawkeye fans appreciate that? No, but I'd rather have a coach that has a little piss and vinegar than well, you know, you know who does appreciate that. And that was what I was telling you earlier. The players appreciate that. Mm-hmm. I mean, again, that's why have you heard any former players say a bad word about Fran? I haven't, I, I don't know. I'm not saying it hasn't happened. I have not heard that. And I'll say this too. The only real, I mean, cause I don't know you guys, I don't know if you guys read my piece a couple weeks ago when it was, I think it was after the, after the Indiana game where Fran, no, Illinois game when Fran was frustrated about the calls. I don't know if you guys read my column after that because I'm not going to, I'm not going to sit here and name drop there, but there were a couple people 
And by the way, I know people will say it, and I know you guys know who I'm talking about probably, and I know people on Twitter will. They listen to this. I have no issue with him whatsoever. Him and I are on good terms. Not Fran and I, but the, 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 you know, the person who had, who had said these comments. I defended Fran in the presser because I thought he did nothing wrong. He, he was talking to Chad Leiskell, Des Moines Register, and he used Chad's comment to make a greater point without getting himself in trouble and fine. Like that's the dynamic in the relationship that Fran has with us as, as professional reporters. And he utilized that at the time. What I have an issue with and what the like, first time I've had all year and after the Indiana game, he was, you know, he's pissed off, whatever else, you know, I, I get, I get that. Okay. I had an issue with his Michigan press conference because there was no props to Michigan for what they did. And he would did not do it even when he was asked about it. I think as a, as a competitor, especially going up against one of the best teams in the country, I mean, look, look, they beat them. And I think Juwan Howard, I thought Michigan's defense was absolutely phenomenal that game. They were in Iowa's space. They were blocking off post-entry passes. Iowa was held a, a low under Fran McCaffrey with four assists. And you talk about Fran McCaffrey's offense, all about ball movement. As a reporter, though, you, ha- you have to know how to ask the question. And when Fran's pissed, you have to ask it right the first time. And if you try to bring it up later, he'll be like, I answered that already. For example... They use the word dysfunctional in regards to his offense. Oh, he probably didn't like that. That's not going over well, Fran. Like, you have to know how to, to- like, and I get it. Like, you, it, the thing is that Fran doesn't want, he doesn't want you to seem accusatory. He doesn't want you to try to throw everything on him. He doesn't want you to try to blame the players. But I also think Fran could have gone a different direction and credited Michigan's defense while giving us a little bit more of a synopsis of his X's and O's. So, and I'll say this again, after the Illinois game, I defended Fran. I, I was still defending him, but, and I think people fall in the trap of, oh, it's Fran. He's got a reputation. So every time something like this happens, he's the, he's the enemy. He's, you know, whatever he's not. And I think we've lost the ability to actually dissect specific issues and specific instances. And it always translates back to the character of the person with the general stereotype. And I think that's a lot that way across a lot of spectrums of life, but we don't need to get into that. But especially when it comes to Fran though, you know, I, I had an issue with, you, you get beat, you know, you, you get beat up, right? I mean, the Michigan beat the crap out of Iowa that day. You got to give Michigan some sort of credit in the pre- post-game press conference. You know why? Because I think 98, 99% of the other coaches across the country would have. And as a leader of young men and as a representation of the fan base and as a representation of the university, you can be pissed. You can answer questions as short, short-sighted as you want. I also think you need to give props where it's due because at the end of the day, that's what being a competitor is. And you use that drive to go beat the shit out of them next time if you want to. Have you ever seen Fran act like that after a game where he just has not given props where you think he should have? Or is this one of the first times you've ever seen it? You know, that's an interesting question. I, I, I'm i not going to sit here and say I have, but I've also mm-hmm. never really paid enough attention to it. I paid enough attention to it because the press conference this time was short enough. And it was just a couple of weeks after that last incident. So that, mm-hmm. that was something that stuck out to me too. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think when it came to Michigan, like when he was asked about the offense dysfunctional, he said it wasn't dysfunctional. Then we asked Jordan Bohan later. He said, yeah, we, we thought we had good shots. We just missed them. I didn't think they got that grave shots that game. Maybe mm-hmm. I'm, I'm in the wrong. I don't know if mm-hmm. you guys thought that. I didn't think they got great shots that game. There were a couple were great. I've always said like, if Iowa makes a couple shots, that's a completely different game because who knows how the momentum would have swung or, you know, what, how the possessions would have played out after that. But you got to take what's on the board. You have to take the paint that's on the canvas. Sorry. Like that was the way the game was pictured. You missed the shots and it led to more bad possessions. And 
the game was sealed when Iowa cut to seven and then Fran subbed out Joey's camp and CJ Frederick. And I, I'm not blaming Fran for doing that. I'm just saying that's when that game turned because they put in Aaron Ulis, who had gotten significant minutes in a while. They put in a couple other guys and, and Michigan took advantage of it and they doubled the lead within about 90 seconds. Uh, again, not blaming Fran for what he was right. That's not my position. You guys can. Uh, but I mean, that was when the game was over, but again, I, the only real issue I had is there was just no, no props. I think Juwan Howard would have given massive credit to Iowa had the, had the sides been flipped. I have two questions for you about working as a journalist, you know, in sports, in sports media. Um, one of them, you talked about press conferences and asking questions in a way where the person you're interviewing responds well to it. How do you go about with writing questions or coming up with questions and asking questions in ways where the people you're interviewing, you know, they're going to respond or give you an answer that's going to fit into a story you're working on? You know, I think Zoom's made it difficult uh, in a lot of ways. I think that it's it really all it really is all about the professional relationship you have with with these players and with these coaches and I mean that's why that those first press conferences with a couple new players or whether it be a new player or a new coach it takes a few press conferences to really get a feel and to get them to open up to you and I mean unless you get a guy like Jordan Bohannon or Connor McCaffrey who'll always just talk off and you get Luca Garza who just it's almost therapeutic for him when he talks he, I, he hasn't said that but I mean based on the quality of answers he gives at least that's how I interpret it. I've always said this. I, I, you, people ask, you know, get mad about asking the dumb questions. You ask dumb questions because you get straightforward answers. But I've always been a believer of the more basketball or the more you understand a game, about a team, about a sport, and you utilize that knowledge into questions, there's a certain level of respect that the interviewee has for the interviewer because you know what all you're talking about. And I think that's when you can really begin to open, they, they begin to open up and will really be more direct with, give you more X's and O's. They'll give you the best answers or you do background research on a guy. I mean, I, I'm not kidding you. I've asked players about pop smoke in press conferences for God's sake. And people have scoffed at, you know why though? Well, one, I love pop smoke. You guys follow me on Twitter. I mean, it's fairly obvious, right? Like I, I got my, you know, whatever else, but you do that because you relate to them on human level. And I yeah. think at times is, I got to hang on. I got I to gotta, I gotta hold myself back for a second. At times in journalism, journalists almost come across as robots with no personality. They can be great writers. They can be whatever else. But they can also be bland. I don't want to be that. And I think the players appreciate when guys aren't, aren't like that. So I'm like, I, and that's what I'm saying. Like in Zoom, everything is so public and you can't get one-on-ones with guys anymore. But like during one-on-ones, I've literally had 10 minute conversations with guys about app music, sports, whatever else like that, because not it's going to benefit a story, but it's going to impact the rest of my career I have interviewing with this player because they're going to get to know me a little bit and I'm going to get to know them. So I really, really think that human connection moment uh, go, goes a long way when it comes to you know, talking to kids and and talking to coaches. And I think that, again, at times it can be a lost art. Uh, and, I, you know, I hope that uh, it, it, it can be brought back. I mean, Grant, it's again, it's not you over Zoom. I mean, it, they're, they're doing the best they can, but it, it really does suck doing video press conferences because I think you lose just a lot of quality. And it's just a sign of the times we're in, I guess.
Yeah, yeah, definitely. I agree. And one question I have related to the writing, you kind of touched on it earlier, is the level of opinions that are going into people's writings now compared to the storytelling aspect of it, of creating a storyline, telling the story about the game, and then you know, putting quotes and giving the story personality along with the storyline. For you, how do you go about that in your writing? And how do you think about telling the story of the game? And, you know, if somebody didn't even watch the game, but they're an Iowa fan, they can read your article and understand what happened, but also give a little bit of your opinion or give some personality to that. Sure. And I, I think that's something that's still developing for me. I'm 25. Like I'm, this is my first job fresh out of college, graduated from Nebraska. I mean, I don't know if you guys even knew that, uh, <laughs> but you know, I'll say this. I think Mark Morehouse was one of the best to ever do it at Iowa as far as writing goes. I think Mark Morehouse, the way he inflared humor, the way he and just the pure per, his own personality into his writing while also telling the story of the game. I think he's tremendous. Um, I think Michael Ost does a really good job. I think there's a lot of guys that do a really good job. For me, it's more so the fact that I want to, I still give my own opinion, but again, it's all about phrasing and it's all about the way you come across in writing versus you, you could be saying the same thing four different ways, but which way is going to be the most effective and which way is going to benefit the reader the most. I thrive on, I want to educate, I want to educate readers. I want to be so educated that like, I feel like I'm, I'm giving people a new perspective. You, there's energy in my writing. I mean, there's also, again, I take away that robotic personality, but at the same time, I'm a big stats guy. So I'm always going to sprinkle in my stat and I'm always going to use the best human element quote wise to try to sum up games or whatever. And, and I guess for me is, I think it's still important, by the way, to give your opinion in sports journalism, especially as a columnist. I mean, you really do have to. Um, I, I think it, otherwise, like, and I'm not, this is not, not a shot at the AP, by the way. Otherwise, they're just another version of the AP. The AP is great for what they are because it's the basic story, the stats of the game, a couple key plays, and whatever else. That's great. Like we we need that. I'm not. That's not a shot. But other, how are you going to differentiate yourself from that? And I think it's all about your voice. And the thing that I've tried to thrive on the most is I always try to talk to as many Iowa fans as I can to appreciate, to understand the culture of the fan base, to understand the the passion of the fan base. And my goal is to articulate the fans passion into my writing and, and just sort of combine storytelling and weaving it together. And I think at, from time or a time or two per article and check my own personality, I'll make some crappy Thanos reference, which I've done a couple of times. I've made a pop smoke reference. I made a juice world reference. I mean, it's just dumb crap like that, but I think it's such a healthy blend of that. And I feel like at, I, I, the best writers are ones that truly understand passion. They understand their perspective, but you can take that passion and perspective and weave it into something professional. And I think if you can do that, that's going to be the best quality of writing that you can get. I are from the most talented writer in the world. I don't think I'm even that good, but I'll always try to say, you know what? I came prepared. I understand the face and I'm going to bust my butt every day to try to be able to articulate that to a fan base that, ultimately deserves it yeah and my question my final question for you is you talked about earlier being a nebraska guy so what was it like for you to go from nebraska to iowa city being in the you know you know in the hawkeye state and 
just immersing yourself now as an Iowa guy, you know, for your job, you know, transitioning from yeah. being in Nebraska sports focused to Iowa sports focused. So here's the thing, right? I was born in Sioux City. I moved around a little bit. My, my parents were Iowa fans. So I, I also think that that sort of helped me coming back to Iowa because I at least have base knowledge of, you know, the, the, the sports and the history and everything like that. I'll tell you what, man, the amount of memes that got me when I left Nebraska was incredible. I interned for the Nebraska Rebel site, Husqvarna, which is like top dog in that market. I had a great mentor, Sean Callahan, does a tremendous job over there. He took me under his wing. But they also have one of the most like heavy, passionate fan boards ever. I mean, you're talking like the first paid thread, last reply is like the last topic in the thread. The reply was like 10 minutes ago. I mean, it's nonstop, whatever. So I left to go to Iowa. Dude, I – there are so many memes. I have literally a whole folder of me and got made about me i got all like a turncoat they they put uh they put like the wolf and sheep's clothing they photoshopped my head onto that they photoshopped my face on like an Egyptian tomb or whatever you know what? a gift they do shame 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 yeah. it's like yeah, from like game, of yeah from, game, it's from game of thrones 1500s from game of thrones yeah so so they, yeah so they, they, they put all the the husker online guys faces as shaming me and i was the one getting in front of the <laughs> my face on it it's like shame 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 and i mean to be fair that's all fun like, it was some crazy i mean crazy crap dude like it's not a shot against the people but like when i see so many memes from one guy i think of like you know you guys the bench warmers mm-hmm. uh-huh you guys like, like guys in his basement making peanut butter sculptures. I'm like, that's what I imagine that guy doing, making memes with me <laughs> like that entire time. So, you know, it, it was funny, but like, as far as reading, you know, instigating myself with Iowa fans, like I, I think at times though too, just cause I had an all fan base and I, I mean, I pissed, I pissed some people off by saying this. Apparently I'm also half the age of almost every other writer. Like that's not a shot against anybody else. I think there's a, I think people sort of adapted my, you know, youth stupidity and they somehow like it. So I'm, I keep rocking it. I mean, I, I guess I dude, I tweet about pop smoke. I got a juice world chain on. I mean, like I, I just, I'm authentic, man. They may not like it, but like I'm, I'm authentic. And uh, the way the Iowa fan, you know, fan base, I think has embraced me and coming back. Uh, it's, uh, it's been cool. I think that's the understatement, but I think it also shows the, uh, that sort of Iowa nice mentality from, you know, the readers and people trying to build my site up. And, you know, I, I couldn't be more appreciative of it uh, just based on, you know, I, I wrote, I've said this too, you know, I maybe you guys haven't heard it, but like, I mean, I got, I, I applied for 127 jobs coming out of high school. I mean, wow. coming out of college, I didn't get one interview. And I mean, I had awards. I had like a good internship and I'm like, you know, I'm, you know, I'm TNT, I'm like sitting here trying to big dog it, you know, whatever. I'm like, I didn't even get an interview. I didn't even get a personal response email. I got like the automated rejection. So like to come back to my home state where I was born at to go do what I do. I mean, it, uh, it's, it's sweet, man, to say the least, but it, I, I think it's, a, it's the Iowa fan base for uh, sort of adopting me, so to speak. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah, you're definitely one of my favorite follows on Twitter for sure. Oh, thanks, man. Uh, uh, Twitter, Twitter is such an indication of real life, so I really appreciate it. 
Oh boy. Yeah. Especially after a good old Iowa basketball loss. I'm sure you feel how, how real life is. <laughs> dude, dude, I got that. And I got, uh, look, I, I'm not going to totally out myself here, but I may have told some dumb crap about Illinois while I was in Florida. And oh, yeah. I may or may not have literally hundreds of Illinois fans. You know exactly what tweets I'm talking about too. A few, uh, few hundred Illinois fans, my mentions about that. That was a, uh, that was a tough scene for David, dude. That was a tough pill to swallow. <laughs> that was a rough one. Yeah, but see, like, right but before. Let's be real. I mean, let's be. We... No, go ahead. Like you were going to say. No, go I'll ahead. Say, for real. I'll say, I'll say let, let's be real. I'm not exactly one to say I shy away from controversy or I shied away from controversy in the Iowa, in the Iowa realm of things. I'm not going to expand beyond that, but I, I think most people who listen and you guys know exactly what I'm talking about. So, uh, you know. Well, yeah. And before I, before I close up, I think some people who aren't aware really need to realize like when you're on Twitter and like you're on social media and you're trying to be that polarizing person that people follow and they, they are attracted to your opinion and what you say, there are some times where that line can get crossed and you have to face the repercussions because of it. And that's just, that's Twitter. But the thing about Twitter as well is a day goes by and the internet forgets about it and life goes on. But that hour or two hours, it's insane. It is like the world is caving in because every Twitter user in the planet knows that you fucked up. <laughs> so let me, like tell you, let, me, let, let, me, let me tell you a story about the craziest, two craziest experiences I had when it came to a Twitter follow. Here, here's what, what, what they, I, I hate this phrase, What I'm spilling the tea, just some basic white. That's, sorry, that's a sorority girl phrase. I hate that shit. Anyway, so you guys remember that game back in 2018? I think it was Scott Frost's first year there at Iowa. And, uh, no, not 20, 2019, mm-hmm. yeah. 2018, 2018. Sorry. Anyway, you know, Scott, like all the brass players came out as warm up line or dancing and being, you know, just themselves. Yeah. I'll, I'll, you know, like they, they were trying to inject some fear into Iowa or, or whatever. I, I don't know. <laughs> uh, uh, sure. Maybe I don't, I didn't think they did that back in the nineties when they were, you know, relevant, right. but, uh, so that happened. I wrote, I wrote the, I wrote an article about that. And then post game, I wrote about a couple of quotes that God, who said it, maybe it was Makai Sargent or someone else talked about, yeah, that really fueled them up that game. I wrote an article about that. And I, I didn't think I really blasted Nebraska that like, I, I didn't think I really did, but apparently I pissed off some Nebraska fans. So my, my girlfriend at the time now X uh, lived in, Omaha, Elkhorn. So I'd always go back, drive back forth to go here. A mo- uh, about a week after that happened, I'm driving back. Stop at a gas station in Elkhorn. More 24-7 gear, whatever else. And keep in mind, I'm going around Nebraska at least a little bit because I was an intern for, for Husker Online, again, which is like the most you know visited Nebraska website there is. Pull up to a gas station, one of my 24-7 stuff. I had a guy come up to me and ask me like, Hey, Oh, you're 24 seven. Like who you work for? And I was like, Oh, I used to work in Nebraska. I'm an Iowa writer now. And he goes like, did you write that column post game about like a Nebraska, like just dancing in lineups? And I was like, yeah, the dude spit on me, told me to fuck off and got back in his car and drove away. So that was a interesting experience with that one. And then, then I, uh, 
Well, a much less exciting one, though. I mean, I've, I've gotten a handful of death threats, which have been yep. interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, uh, as, as a disclaimer to everything I just said, it's all satire. I love every fan base. Uh, views do not represent those of, of 24-7 sports or HawkeyeInsider.com. It's all me. So any hate mail, praise uh, can be directed at, at David Eichel. And if you love me enough, at David-Eichel on Venmo. That works, too uh that's fine so I'll, I'll plug that too i'll have a final plug right there well i'm gonna speak <laughs> i'm gonna have to speak for hawkeye nation's behalf and say this is an awesome one i'm sure everyone's gonna absolutely enjoy the hell out of listening to this and if you don't already sure. give david a follow on twitter <laughs> hit up his venmo even yeah. i mean you know what kind of emotional trauma this guy goes through on a day-to-day basis with the big 10 fan bases so any support is good support Uh, As always, not the same time, same place. We will see you guys later.